Hi everyone, this is Austin Bridges welcoming you to the LL Research Podcast in the Now, episode number 54. LL Research is a nonprofit organization dedicated to freely sharing spiritually oriented information and fostering community, and towards this end has two websites the archive website, llresearch.org, and the community website, bringforth.org. During each episode, those of us at LL Research form a panel to consider questions from spiritual seekers. Our panel consists of Jim McCarty, husband to the late Carla Ruckert, scribe for The Raw Contact, and president of LL Research, along with Gary Bean and myself, who are working hard to keep the mission of LL Research alive and well, each of us a devoted seeker and student of the Law of One. We intend this podcast to be a platform of discussion as we consider questions from spiritual seekers that often challenge us to articulate our own perspective. Our replies to these questions are not final and authoritative. Instead, they are generally subjective interpretations stemming from our own studies and life experiences. We always ask each who listens to exercise their own discernment and listen for their own resonance in determining what is true for them. If you would like to submit a question for this show, please do so. Our humble podcast relies on your questions. You may either send an email to contact at llresearch.org or go to www.llresearch.org slash podcast for further instructions. Again, I'm Austin, and we are embarking on a brand new episode of LL Research's podcast in the now. Gary and Jim, are you ready for this amazing episode? Well, I'm ready. Gary is. All righty. Well, our first question today, our first two questions, come from Arnold, who sent them in via email. And Arnold asks, Can wanderers here on Earth suffer from severe self-rejection, or are they incarnated into this current time-space with a strong sense of self-acceptance? Let's turn to Jim to tackle that one first. Well, Rob mentioned that uh, wanderers, when they incarnate on Earth, uh, become completely the entity of third density. If they wish, they can have a certain tendency towards learning about spiritual principles, because that's uh, pretty much the home density in which they they survive and live. But uh, other than that, depending upon what uh, pre-incarnative choices they've made, wanderers can learn anything through any particular catalyst that you could mention. So uh, they may or may not have a sense of self-acceptance or self-rejection. Uh, they can uh, program to learn. Well, there, Ross said there are basically three reasons for wanderers coming to Earth. They come basically to help lighten the planetary vibration for the first thing. And then the second thing, if they're able to remember that they're a wanderer, they're from elsewhere and they're here to be of service, then they increase their personal polarization a great more uh, rapidly than if they had not remembered. And the third thing, uh, sometimes there's a need to go through uh, either more wisdom training or more compassionate training. Those are the two basic lessons after we get out of third density. The fourth density is the compassion and love. The fifth is the wisdom. Then in the sixth density, they balance those two. So we're working with love and light, with uh, wisdom and compassion. So some wanderers where they go through the uh, end of fifth density into sixth density or start going through sixth density need to recapitulate 
either one or the other, wisdom or compassion, to be sure that they're in balance, because they're going to need to be in balance in the sixth density. So there may be something in the way of um, compassion that they would need to learn that might look like self-rejection. My own experience with that is that uh, for most of my life, I got angry at myself uh, for making little mistakes. And uh, I break a tool if I sawed a line crookedly or hammered a nail crookedly. Uh, All kinds of things throughout my life. I I just broke things. And it was a symbol of me getting angry at myself. And Ross suggested that this was a program whereby I wanted to balance the wisdom that I had by increasing my compassion. And the way you do that is what uh, Dr. Michael Newton called uh, opposites programming. You program a lack of compassion if you're trying to get more compassion. And for a positively oriented entity, uh, you program that for yourself. It wouldn't be appropriate to program it for other people. That would be negative orientation. So for uh, 68 years of my life, I um, had that quality where I would get angry at myself for making all kinds of goofy mistakes, dropping something, fumbling, you know, just anything. And it it finally uh, ended for me in August of 2015. I finally learned how to love myself. So um, I would say anything is possible for a wanderer. What, What do you say, Gary? I'd say that was a great reply, and um, uh, like you, I I think um, the wanderer can learn any lesson that's available. Um, So in my reply, I dove into possible reasons that uh, self-projection may be developed. Um, And I think any third density, regardless of where their soul came from, is very much subject to developing self-rejection at some point in their incarnation or one of their incarnational cycles, uh, especially on this planet. Um, Two reasons being, uh, one, simply existing in this matrix where people are separated and are often at odds with one another, where energies of judgment or ridicule, scorn, hostility, or other varieties of non-acceptance are or can be the norm. Uh, simply put, where people are shitty to one another um, can help one, encourage one to develop self-rejection. But however many external sources for self-rejection are identified, at the end of the day, those are only proximate causes. Um, the first fundamental and ultimate cause of self-rejection is simply lack of self-knowledge. When our identity is small and rests upon the opinions of others or is measured against societal standards, then we are set up or we're practically guaranteed to find fault in ourselves, ways that we don't seem to meet those standards, ways that we are less than. And when we know who we truly are, we need no validation from the world. Um, so whereas self-rejection is a contraction, an illusory no forced upon the self self knowledge is a discovery and acceptance of the final yes of self it needs no justification beingness is a self luminous rightness um if that makes sense that's how i see it uh in prac that's in theory in practice though i'm still um working on chipping away at self-rejection. I used to, much of my mentality was caught inside of that very small, constricted space of self-rejection. And it's only through many years of growth that I've incrementally come to say, I'm okay as I am. 
Um, but for the wonder in particular, there are added reasons, uh, including a, a subconscious sense of being different or other than, uh, feeling, shall we say, alien, um, sensing the variance between the vibrations of home, where everybody loved each other, basically, and the vibrations of this environment where love is not automatic. Um, and the wanderer could develop a rejection of this environment itself that translates into a self-rejection. Um, the wanderer could say, not be good in conversation and say really dumb things or <laughs> be, feel that they are very white and wanting darker skin or doing a podcast and wonder if they're saying anything helpful at all. And I may be getting personal. Yeah, what are here. you talking about? <laughs> Um, but yeah, that's uh, some thoughts on, uh, the development of self-rejection by Gary Bean. <laughs> Back to you, Austin. Um, thank you both, uh, especially for sharing the personal aspect of this question, uh, for both of you. Um, I think it is very helpful to uh, hear how these sorts of things manifest in our own lives. And it's useful to hear other people talk about their uh, own issues with self-acceptance and self-rejection as well. Um, and I agree with both of you, and I think that uh, Gary and I especially were in the same vein when we were developing our thoughts and answers for this question. So um, I think that if you did take a poll of self-identifying wanderers, I would say that self-rejection is a lot more common than self-acceptance. So the simple answer to Arnold's question, I think, is that uh, most wanderers do not incarnate with a strong sense of self-acceptance. And there are probably exceptions, but by and large, I think wanderers struggle with self-rejection uh, maybe more than other third-density entities, but I'm not 100% sure. But if they do struggle more, there are some factors that I see that would play into that. And one of them Gary touched on is this fundamental difference between the home environment of the wanderer and the third-density environment that we are currently in. Ra talks about this in uh, 12.30 when they say, due to the extreme variance between the vibratory distortions of third density and those of the more dense densities, if you will, wanderers have, as a general rule, some form of handicap, difficulty, or feeling of alienation which is severe. The most common of these difficulties are alienation, the rejection against the planetary vibration by personality disorders, as you would call them, and body complex ailments indicating difficulty in adjustment to the planetary vibrations, such as allergies, as you would call them. So as uh, Gary was touching on, this can sometimes, I think, translate into a self-rejection when there is an outer rejection. I think that the nature of our psyches and how we perceive our environment is that they will typically reflect each other. Thus, if a wanderer does not feel at home in their environment, they may not typically feel at home in their own veiled psyches. And this is a generality, and it might be an unconscious dynamic that doesn't necessarily look like that's what's happening on the surface. But I do think it's true uh, for most third-density beings, including wanderers. And because of this, I think that the natural sort of rejection of both environments and self within third density 
uh, for wanderers exists. So for me, one of the greatest liberations of spiritual evolution is when I became more comfortable with myself and accepted myself more, I felt more comfortable within my environment in general. I felt um, oppressed by this world less and less. And while it is still apparent that there is a lot about this environment which is not harmonious and could use a lot of love and service, it's not something that feels like a wound to my psyche that causes me to reject my environment and then reject myself because of it. And another factor that I think uh, is involved is just how abnormal the identity of a wanderer is in our society. It's not exactly an acceptable thing within our society to identify as a human with an alien soul. At best, I think most people would probably roll their eyes at this idea, and at worst, they would feel like such a person should be committed. Uh, discovering one's wanderer identity can be extremely liberating because it puts so much that is confusing about our life into a beautiful context. But because of how our society views such things, it can also make somebody feel crazy or rejected by society in general. And that rejection can be pretty tough, and it can lead to some self-rejection. And I do think that in that dynamic, there might be some projection on the side of the wanderer, sort of their already present self-rejection that they are uh, having reflected back at them by society. And I, that's the uh, case for me in a lot of situations, is that my perceived rejection from society is very much elevated by my own insecurities. But I have to say that society doesn't do a whole lot to help ease those insecurities. So uh, it can become sort of a cycle. But those are sort of the two primary factors I see that um, might cause a wanderer to have a stronger sense of self-rejection than normal, maybe. Uh, any more thoughts from either of you? Not from mine. Uh, when, when you said uh, talked about taking a poll of wanderers and um, uh, supposing that most would have self-rejection rather than self-acceptance, I would, in my own thoughts, I would say that that is true. That rings accurate to me. Um, given and then, then I thought about their home environment again, uh, as you were describing, and. Um, realize like in that environment they don't so far as i'm aware have to develop self-acceptance like one would here in this less than supportive environment because back at home you know everybody loves you everybody <laughs> everybody there's no exception to that rule loves you and here that's it is categorically not the case and then um i thought about one other thing and that's ra talked about the path of the adept and the necessity of dissociation from the thoughts, bonds, opinions, and constraints of others. So then I uh, took a step back and imagined that like every person is born into this world and there is no one rule book or a standard as to uh, how to behave, um, how to relate to others, and e even what reality is. There's no universal standard here on this planet. So if you don't have a foundational bedrock of self-knowledge, you're looking to others for your cues. You're looking to society for their standards and and um, attempting to uh, find your way through that means. And um, 
society, of course, has a lot of conflicting standards and a lot of judgmental uh, standards. So, so like I, I re- recall like watching movies a lot of times and the movie is conveying a worldview. Uh, namely the worldview of the scriptwriter and the director and um, <clears throat> and so forth. And that worldview will often uh, make fun of a certain type of person or an idea, or the, the protagonist is the one that's generally being upheld as right, and the protagonist is in conflict with others who are wrong. So, like, if I saw something, some part of my own identity that was, like, made fun of in the movie, then I would feel like this cringing inside, like I was being uh, rejected. And um, I would, I suppose, internalize that standard. I guess that's a process that a lot of people go through is seeing something that they identify with being rejected, then internalizing that. Um, I, and so to wrap this back into what Ross said about dissociation, I think that's why it's important that um, one not give that power to others per se. Not that one reject others, but that one um, not be at the mercy of or bound by the thoughts of others um, such that one is dissociated from them. One can view others rejecting some principle that you believe in, but you know your own truth. And as such, you are not uh, affected or... Um, <clears throat> yeah, I guess that's what I want to say. I think yeah. that that is actually sort of a core aspect of being a wanderer and even part of the whole wanderer equation is that it is a normal aspect of third density development, just the development of our psyches, that we will be molded by our culture. We'll have um, what I think Jung called it introjection, which is the opposite of projection, where instead of projecting our values out in a perception of the world, we're basically molded by the values of our environment initially. And there's only so much a kid can do to not be just completely molded by the society that we grow up in. And in fact, it's sort of a healthy thing to be molded by the society that we grew up in because that gives us a standpoint to relate to society from. But then the process of going through and evaluating the values that society has given you is an incredibly powerful thing. And I think it's something that wanderers are sort of here to do because they bring with them this innate knowledge and this innate truth of where they came from. And that stands in stark contrast of the sorts of values that are uh, introjected into them. And then they go through and having this intense urge, this intense knowing that something about this is off, that this is fundamentally um, causing friction within myself. And I need to do some seeking within myself to figure out what it is that feels off about this. And that leads them down the spiritual path of uh, coming up to those sort of societal norms and the societal values that maybe wanderers are here to transform themselves. And so they go through this process, like you said, of not necessarily uh, rejecting these things in a sense that they don't love and accept them, but they become independent from them and uh, can relate to them still and show people who hold those values that there are other ways to live, that there are other ways to exist as a human being. 
And um, when somebody does that, after having been molded by society and been firmly planted in the soil of their density, I think it's a really powerful thing. And I think that's sort of how wanderers really affect the world that we're in. Um, I agree with everything you said and appreciate it and have a quick, I hope, thought to augment that. And uh, uh, I agree that this this molding process, wanderer or not, is uh, natural and needed. Um, and my next thought was, yeah, part of the, the core program of wandererhood, as you were saying, is um, like the social memory complexes, Ra and uh, their cohorts, are outside of this system. They can beam love and light. They can send information, but they are still – they can't transform it from within. The wanderer, however, is born and grows up through the soil of this planet and is molded, as you said, takes – on the societal distortions unto itself. Um, and then as it, it moves through its own process of love and acceptance, it transforms those distortions that it has taken on and in so doing transforms society itself in much the same way that self-work is world work. And then ultimately as the wanderer transforms self-rejection, say, one among many distortions, um, the wanderer then ultimately, as you were describing, offers another model, another way, uh, a clear opening. It's like they have cleared out the pollution, so to speak, in their part of the ocean, and it helps clean out the uh, the entire ocean. But not as brief as I hoped, but that was my argumented <laughs> thought. Well, all right. Um, we covered that one pretty well. Any <laughs> final thoughts from you, Jim? Uh, one little one. Um I remember Ross saying that it was very likely that a wanderer would suffer some kind of difficult psychological impairment on the planet. <clears throat> Alienation was the most likely. And I'm just curious, uh, I don't think there's any way of ever finding this out, but how many wanderers are able to do what we hope they're doing, and that is awakening and then doing some uh, chan channeling of their own energies to help change the planet. And how many are maybe not able to uh, adjust to the planet and have uh, basically incarnated into a really bad situation from which they never awaken. My guess would be the minority of wanderers, and it's only a guess, but minority would um, awaken to who they are and to begin serving as they intended. There was a thought um, I came across in Secrets of the UFO where I don't know if it's Don and Carla talking about it or it's early channeling talking about it, but... Um, uh, kind of like some species um, create a, a thousand eggs knowing that um, you know only a portion of those eggs are going to survive but in redundancy mm -hmm. is is the goal so m much the same with wanderers they came in masses knowing that a lot of them weren't going to awaken but the the overabundance and the redundancy is what helps um, achieve uh, to be as successful as possible I suppose there's a certain ratio that they have at the Council of Saturn that they say, well, see, yeah, we need to put in about 65 million wanders because, you know, only 20 million are going to awaken. <laughs> yeah, they have their version of online calculators. Right. We're looking at a 6.99 repeating <laughs> success rate here. So we need to incarnate with at least 65 million. They are crappy with numbers, though. <laughs> That's so. true. What if they got it wrong? <laughs> um, I think we've got... Uh, yeah, the next question is pretty significant, I think, but we've got some time, so 
It also comes from Arnold, who asks, If an entity experienced great childhood trauma and rejection, is it then likely the result of karma and that this entity rejected itself or others in a prior life? Or was this trauma chosen by the entity to accelerate or increase its own vibrational development and increase its service to others suffering from similar trauma? Or is it possible that such trauma was simply the product of the free will of others who indirectly harmed the entity when it was very young? Gary, let's start with you. Yeah, that's a good question, and obviously I can't speak to the specifics of any given situation, but I it did launch me into more fundamental inquiry, and that's that. Um, <clears throat> this has been a chicken and the egg conundrum for me for a while. The question being is what we experience, including situations such as you describe, where others hurt us, an outgrowth or result of our own past action. Or can someone seek to hurt us without our karmic schedule inviting it? <clears throat> um, say I travel, for instance, to try to illustrate this. I travel to a distant city. I'm walking on a sidewalk. And let's keep it mild. Someone I've never met before, someone with whom I have no obvious connection, passes me and spits on my shirt. <laughs> um, <laughs> was I somehow complicit in that act? Did my vibrational state in that moment, or my karmic balance, open the invitation to that passerby. <clears throat> it's This basic scenario has been an unresolved question in my mind for some time. On one hand, I can see how people attract to themselves that which is needed for learning, including negative or harmful or destructive situations. Um, and in that metaphysical sense, there are no victims, as each is experiencing that which they need. Um, caveat... From a legal and emotional standpoint, there are victims, and justice does have a place. But surely, the, this is where it gets tricky for me, surely person A can step forward and hurt person B without cause, provocation, or previous action on person B's part. Um, there must exist the possibility that someone with ill or confused intent can just simply hurt somebody without corresponding invitation or opening on the part of the recipient. Else, how does inflicting pain upon another ever happen in the first place? It must be initiated and set into motion somewhere. Um... And I'll just skip over my last couple paragraphs. In the interest of time, back to you, host... Thank you for that. Jim, uh, how do you feel? Well, um, I think that uh, in the personal part of the incarnation for a wanderer, that uh, really anything is possible because each wanderer programs uh, pre-incarnated lessons, as Gary was talking about. And I do believe there is a good reason for what happens to us in every life experience. Um, we, uh, I do believe we choose our lessons. Now, whether or not you'd ever choose to have, you know, somebody spit on your shirt, <laughs> probably not that specific. But you can choose how you can respond to it. And so the action isn't over after the, the spit occurs. You know, there, there, there can be a, a whole range of possibilities that could um, get you excited about, well, could I talk to you for a second here? Because, you know, that would be taken as a bad thing to do back where I'm from. But, you know... I have a different point of view, and I was thinking maybe there's something bothering you that I could help you with. Now, this is back to uh, Charles Eisenstein's uh, the Consciousness of Interbeing in a new story. And there's different ways of looking at things. But I think that uh, getting back to this uh, self-rejection here, 
there could be other reasons for the uh, wander feeling re rejection of the self from others. Uh, maybe it's a desire on the wanderer's part to develop an inner strength that would come from being able, to, being necessary for him or her to stand up for the self because there are others that are not standing up for the self. In fact, they're trying to take the self down. Um, maybe you're trying to develop uh, love for people who do that to you, you know, for those, like the Bible says, who use and abuse you. Maybe you're trying to develop love on a more difficult uh, level of being because um, it's easy to love people who love you in the family. But if there's people who don't particularly show that they love you, maybe they do, maybe they don't, then you still want to love them and you still try to love them. Um, any catalyst that seems to be negative can be seen in a positive light and vice versa. You know, In the uh, Tarot, our conscious mind is known as the ma magician because it can magically transform any situation into a positive learning experience. I think uh, one of the best ones I've read is um, a, a woman by the name of Michaela Small Wright who wrote a book called Paralandra. Paralandra is the American equivalent of Fendhorn, and she works with nature spirits there. And uh, for most of her, the first half of the book is her childhood. And her parents uh, pretty much abandoned her by the time she was 12 years old. Before the age of 12, they're around most of the time and kind of got her into school and so forth. But after that, they were gone. And it was up to her to get herself enrolled in school and to explain to the school officials why her mom and dad weren't going to be able to come to the various meetings, this, that, and the other, make up excuses. And it was up to her to get money to survive, uh, to cook her own food. Uh, and they would show up now and then and you know, maybe leave her a little money. And, uh, it was almost like uh, they were consciously trying to ignore this child. And they, they, they did. So after she grew up and she began Paralandra, uh, she held workshops around the world to let people know how to work with uh, nature spirits and Davids. And one person said, you know, I read your book and I can't believe that you went through all that stuff. Have you found a way to forgive your mom and dad? And she said, there's no need to forgive. I wouldn't be who I am with what they did. I can take care of myself. I am self-reliant. And I can teach other people to do that. No, I, there's nothing to forgive. You know, that blew my mind. So, so anything is possible. Uh, the, uh, the mind can look at any situation and decide that it wants to respond in a certain way. Um, Ra had a, a quote in uh, 9524. Um, Don was saying... Uh, if the experience of the mind has sufficiently chosen the right-hand path, as total purity is approached in choosing the right-hand path, then total imperviousness from the effect of the left-hand catalyst is also approached. This is correct. Ross says that this is exquisitely perceptive. A seeker which has purely chosen the service to others' path shall certainly not have a variant apparent incarnational experience. There is no outward shelter in your illusion from the gusts, flurries, and blizzards of quick and cruel catalysts. However, to the pure... All that is encountered speaks of the love and the light of the one infinite creator. The cruelest blow is seen with an ambiance of challenges offered and opportunities to come. Thusly, the great pitch of light is held high above such an one, so that all interpretation may be seen to be protected by light. Now, most of us aren't going to you know, reach those heights. We'll probably fall short. But each of us can move in that direction on our path of seeking the truth. Gary, what do you think? Or Austin, what do you think? <laughs> Um, I think that your response is the central aspect here and that no matter what the real answer to this question is, whether or not everything can be divinely planned or whether or not some things can be random, 
the response is always going to be the same. You can choose how you want to have that affect your life. And um, that is the central teaching, I believe. But to, uh, I guess, to focus in a little bit more on the less important details, um, I struggle with the question a lot of whether or not something, trauma is always something that is planned, whether uh, Gary getting his shirt spit on is something that him and his higher self decided on before the incarnation. It seems kind of silly to think that um, <laughs> they had that conversation <laughs> and his higher self was like, that's probably a good lesson for you to learn right there. Um, and But there is a lot of uh, spiritual teachings who say that that is the case, that uh, you are attracting every little thing that happens to you and that everything that happens to you has been planned in a certain way for a certain lesson. So I will say that I do think that traumas can be the result of karmic balancing or another type of planned incarnational lesson. And Ra actually says that it is to be noted that among your entities, a large percentage of all progress or all progression has as catalyst trauma. I don't think that they ever made any sort of definitive statement saying that all trauma is planned as catalyst for progression, though just that uh, progression usually has as catalyst trauma. Um, and I do hesitate to say, I think uh, this is sort of this theme that Gary was going on, that all trauma is the result of karma or planning. If everything is divinely planned, then I think that something doesn't quite add up about the nature of our reality. Were things all divinely planned, we wouldn't have issues with uh, progression and evolution of the spirit, I don't think. Yet Ra and the rest of the Confederation say that they are concerned when there isn't progression that results in harvest. And if all is divinely planned, and uh, Ra and the Confederation, I think that we sort of accept that they have a greater viewpoint of the metaphysics behind what is going on, so if everything is planned, including trauma and experiences that inhibit our spiritual progression, then what exactly is there to be concerned about uh, if everything's going according to plan? So there's definitely a viewpoint above what Ra can see, and they reiterate that a few times throughout the material, that they are sharing their opinion and their perspective, and beyond them there is mystery that they themselves do not grasp. That divine plan probably, I think, does exist, and it exists within that mystery that they cannot see. But from their perspective, there is still reason to be concerned when there is not progression. <clears throat> uh, so one can say that a trauma itself may be planned, uh, but how that person reacts to that trauma is up to the incarnated entity's free will, as Jim was talking about. So my question would be that if a person's free will could cause them to reject a lesson and to stifle their own growth, wouldn't it also be possible that another entity's free will would cause them to create unplanned trauma in the life of another person who also did not plan for that trauma? So I do think it's possible that trauma between two people can be planned before an incarnation. But also, the free will of incarnated entities creates a mystery and an unknown aspect of how the entity's progression will unfold. And I think that element of unknown free will can result in someone 
creating an unplanned trauma in another person's life and that not all traumas are necessarily the result of a desired lesson or uh, in karmic balancing or something like that, that it could be a random event generated by the free will that we've been afforded in our reality. Um, any further thoughts from either of you? Don't think so. Um, bunch of meaty philosophical threads we could explore. I will refrain, though, and offer one actually quick thought, and that's that um, regarding planning versus random, uh, my understanding from Ra's description of the workings of the universe is that the more the further along that the third density entity is in their progression, the less and less random their catalyst is, the more and more it is um, either being planned by them on a pre-incarnational level or, as they get more advanced, is chosen by them on, a, on an increasingly conscious level while within the incarnation. And that's all. Alrighty, well... I think that that brings us up to the end of our show. Any final words for the listeners, Jim? Yes. I want to thank you all for sending questions. Thank you all for listening. Thank you all for being. And thank you all for letting us love you. We can feel the love coming back to us. And uh, go ahead and spread the love around. We need more of it in the world. Yes, we do. You have been listening to LL Research's weekly podcast, In the Now. If you've enjoyed the show, please visit our websites, llresearch.org and bringforth.org. Thank you so much for listening, and a special thank you to those who submitted questions. Um, Arnold, if you'd like to send us a question for the next show, please read instructions on our page at www.llresearch.org slash podcast. New episodes are published to the archive website every Wednesday afternoon around 1 p.m. Have a wonderful couple of weeks, and we will talk with you then.